Welcome and thank you for joining us. Here at Calvary Chapel Eldoret, we believe in impacting and changing people's lives through the Bible, which is the only inspired and infallible Word of God. For more information, be sure to check out our website at ccelderet.org. That is ccelderet.org. And here is today's word. Turn with me to John chapter 21. I don't know how long exactly we've been in this gospel. I know we took a 10-month break and you resumed um, in different studies on Sunday morning. Uh, and uh, so that that 10 months doesn't count as uh, how long we've been in, but how long we've been teaching. I've been teaching John's gospel on Sunday morning. It's got to be well over a year. I don't know exactly. And um, it's not, you know, this feeling that I get because we'll probably end today, maybe next week that, oh, I'm glad it's over. We've accomplished this. It's really, in a sense, yes, I, I feel that, but the other sense is um, uh, you don't want this gospel to end. Every book I'm currently teaching is my favorite book in the Bible, and uh, not because I'm teaching it, but because uh, I get to study it, and we get to finish John's gospel, either this day or next week, and um, we, we, we come to chapter 21, which is the epilogue of John's gospel, the conclusion, and it's kind of an odd conclusion, um, as so much of the Bible is, there's a, 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 a chapter thrown in in the middle of the book that seems not to fit, or in this case, a chapter at the end, kind of just telling um, another story that applies in so many different ways. We could spend 10 weeks easily on this chapter. The Bible is infinite, but this last chapter is a lot about Peter, uh, that famous disciple of Jesus Christ, that famous apostle um, that we can relate to so much. Um, and if you can't relate to the Apostle Peter, then you probably should see yourself in a better light because the Apostle Peter, we can relate to him so much is because he is that disciple where so many of his mistakes were put on paper for us, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And once again, we get to see another story of Peter, but we get to see a humbled Peter in this chapter. We ended two Sundays ago in chapter uh, 20, verses 30 and 31. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. This is the purpose statement, which would have been a, a good ending and I'm thankful it didn't end because we get this marvelous story of what happened. But they're written that many, that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing we may have life in his name. This is so important that we understand this. 
And it is important for dozens and dozens of reasons. But when he says that we may have life, it's not referring only to salvation itself, which it is in a way, but in salvation, it's referring to a quality of life that we can have as Christians. A quality of life. And, and the reason, one of the many reasons why that's so important is number one, for us to understand that a quality of life in Christ should profoundly affect us in this world. In the, the, the world that we live in, the life that we have, not just that life that we will have in heaven, but the life that we currently have on earth. It is a standard of living that Jesus Christ and John the Apostle is writing to us in this verse. And that's so important that I want you to get this. And we'll talk about this a little in our study today, but this is a quality of life. John chapter 10, the Bible says that Jesus came that we may have life and have it more abundantly. That is to abound, that is to increase into something we would not have if it were not for Christ coming and the Holy Spirit's filling, which is the filling of the nature of the triune God. And I've made a big deal out of that all throughout this gospel, especially as we came in to the upper room discourse. And why is this so important? Secondly, let me tell you, I'm so glad that you asked this morning. It's because when we share with people, have you ever wanted to share the gospel? And if you haven't as a Christian, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> More than just, you know, your average thing. It's, it's, it's just blatantly wicked not to want to share Christ with people. It's like being ashamed of your husband which I see a lot of women ashamed of their husbands, maybe for good reason, but we can't be ashamed and have any good reasons of being ashamed of Christ. But when, have you ever shared with somebody and you're talking be like, hey, do you know Christ? Many people will say, yes, I know Jesus Christ. And it kind of stops you and you're like, well, okay, they know Jesus Christ. But you get to talking to them and you, and you, you discover real quickly, and not in a judgmental way, you discover real quickly that their standard, their in, in, exhaustive list of knowing Christ is simply they go to church, they kind of grew up in church, they have a family that's Christian, which is especially true in this culture, being a very family-oriented, communal-oriented, socially-oriented, shame-and-honor culture. It's like if your family's Christian, you're a Christian. If your family's Muslim, oh, I'm a Muslim. But that is really the extent of the standard of the abundant life to so many people. And that is the very opposite of what Jesus is trying to communicate in his coming. He came, this was written, 
that we may believe and in believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, we may have a standard of life that we never had before. There's no substitute for joy and peace in your heart. There's no substitute for that. Sin brings death. Sin brings paranoia. Sin brings anxiety. Sin brings trouble. Sin brings depression. And when that is removed out from your life, for those who've experienced such things would not trade it, I hope, for all the money in the world. For those who had that anxiety, that depression, that stress, that paranoia, and when you came into this abundant life, a standard of living that is higher than what money can give, what the security of material possessions can give, and it was replaced with this abundant life, it doesn't matter. All the money in the world cannot pay for the joy that we have in Christ. I've mentioned this before, and it's a good example. I talk to people, and, and this one particular person I'm thinking of, she'll be, you know, she's a doctor, and she'll be like, yeah, you know, my husband, he's a drunkard. He never pays attention to me or the kids. He's so drunk all the time that it's hard to even um, get him to have a conversation. And she'll go on and on about all this stuff. And the conclusion for her is this, but at least he doesn't beat me and the kids. So her standard of living as a non-Christian and, and I get she's trying to be positive in some ways, but listen, positive confession is a false doctrine. I will hear it all the time in modern churches, even in modern conversation. No negative thinking. I don't want to think negatively today. No negative speech. And of course, there's some reality too. You don't want to constantly bring up all the bad things in people and in life gossip and slander and just negative talk. But there is a doctrine that goes along with that, that, um, that if you end on something positive, then you'll have positive energy for the rest of the day. You'll find this in a lot of um, Scientology and a lot of kind of Buddhist and Hinduistic thinking. But the standard of life for the world is a different standard of life than what Christ intended for his children. Think about that. Meditate on that. What is the standard of your life? Are you filled with anxiety and stress all the time? Are you filled with depression? Is your cup running over with stress? And if it is, that is not 
the abundant life that God has for you. Now, here's the thing about it. You can still have the abundant life with going through an immense amount of trials. And yet, with all of those trials that are going on, little money, not the proper diet because of little money, school fees, family pressure, all of these things cannot destroy the abundant life that Christ has when you abide and if you abide in his presence through many different things, through prayer, through discipleship, through Bible reading, which is God speaking to you who he is. It can't destroy those things. It can't destroy the standard of life that God has. It says here in verse one, let's read it. And after these things, after the cross, after the resurrection, after the visitation, those visitations that Jesus had with his disciples, three up to this point, and there will be more. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in the, this way, he showed himself Simon Peter, Thomas is called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. And they went out immediately, got into the boat, and then that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Let's just stop there for a moment. There are many different beliefs and thoughts to the state of mind and the state of the very heart of Peter and those who would follow Peter in going fishing. Many, probably the majority, believe that Peter is now backsliding and in his backslidden state, he is not just personally backsliding, he is vocalizing what he is doing in his backsliding state in front of people and also leading others to backslide. Um, people believe this because like in John's gospel that we studied in the last few weeks, Jesus commissioned him. The great commission in John's gospel was that, okay, now the sins that you forgive, they will be forgiven. Those sins of the people, we talked about what that means. Um, and the sins that are retained will be retained. That is the commissioning for the disciples to now go out and preach forgiveness of sins through the cross of Christ and the abundant life through the resurrection. But also, as much as you can preach the assurity of sins forgiven, you can also preach the assurity of sins not forgiven. If somebody rejects Jesus Christ, their sins are not forgiven, they remain on them, and they will be eternally separated from God in hell. So that's your commission. Go out and preach it. And... Uh, some believe that, no, they didn't go out and preach it. 
And so they go and they're back up where they're from around the region of Galilee and they go fishing, which was the very uh, trade and career that they had before Jesus had called them. They also claim that um, Jesus called them away from their careers, these particular people. They called them away and said, hey, when he met them, he saw them fishing. Not all of the 12 were fishermen, but many. And he said, hey, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so they believed that because he called them away from their career and they returned back to their career, that they are backsliding. The reason I'm saying this is one of the views is I don't particularly hold to that view, though I do think it can make for really good preaching as we need to understand that backsliding is wrong and it can give it some examples of backsliding. I particularly don't wanna use this just for the sake of having some good material for preaching as if this is exactly what was going on in the mind and the heart of Peter and those disciples who would follow him to the lake to fish. Nevertheless, we can apply some of these things in terms of backsliding. If Jesus Christ has called you to something and you walk away from that thing that he's called you to, going back to the thing that he's called you from, then that would be wrong. That would be backsliding. Perhaps Peter is confused. I think he is. But even more so, as some claim, maybe backslidden, returning back to this, what he knows, to provide a living for his wife and his kids. Maybe now that Jesus is gone, he says, okay, Jesus was providing this whole time for me, for the other 12 disciples. We had places to sleep. We had supernatural provision with food. No doubt um, they had offerings that were given to them as ministers because uh, Judas himself was the treasurer of this ministry, of this group of men that was headed up by the very controversial rabbi. And because this is ended, Peter is going out and just saying, I'm going back to what I know. All that may be true and we have to understand something. If this is true, what many believe, and I'll give this one practical application, please listen, is that those who were being called out unto the purposes of God, whether that means like the apostle Peter, you're being called out to become a minister of the gospel, a full-time minister, or being called to a particular career, whether it be um, a teacher, a mechanic, a lawyer, or a doctor, it doesn't matter whatever you may be called to do, you must walk in that calling by faith. That is the principle that many want to apply in saying that they're backslidden, which I don't particularly believe, but still, 
the practical application applies. By faith, you must go out and do what you do. If you are worried and filled with anxiety the entire time you're walking, you are giving a bad testimony of the faith that you have in Christ. Now, that's not to say, because listen, that can go too far. And especially here in Africa, we have a hard time admitting at times the problems we're going through. Now, our personal close friends, we should, should hear about what we're going through. I mean, it troubles me to go to funerals and it's just, it's like your husband was just murdered and you're talking about how it will be well. You guys know what I'm talking about. They, they've gone through the worst thing that could happen to a child or husband and because of the culture, they have to go around with a smile saying it will be well. You guys notice this? I'll, I'll go up to people and be like, and this is a true situation. I'm like, so sorry. And I'm, you know, wanting to mourn with them. They're like, oh, don't worry. It'll be well. I'm like, what? Your husband was just killed or your child just died in a Matantu accident. We're talking about it will be well. It's almost like an attempt at be positive. Be positive. And, and, and I get trying to be strong but you know, the Bible says there is a time to mourn and to mourn with those who are mourning and there is a time to rejoice and rejoice with those who are rejoicing. So I'm not saying that, you know, those of us who are going through things can't vocalize them, but some of us vocalize the things we're going through way too much to the point where it becomes a bad testimony. Many missionaries who want to come to the third world, and I believe those in America who have been privileged with the kind of economy that we're under there and the kind of Bible teaching that we received in the second great awakening, birthing so many good churches, which are not as many. I'm going to be honest in Africa. Africa has adopted so many terrible doctrines, namely in Kenya and like Nigeria, the, the prosperity gospel. That we do have a responsibility to obey that great commission, but it is not limited to, to Americans. I believe many Kenyans. And Kenya itself has an obligation to obey the great commission in going out into other nations. But I gotta tell you, those coming, even from America, they have a standard of living that would cause them not to step out in faith to go on the mission field because they don't have enough funds raised. I see so many who have the desire to come to Africa or Asia or the, the, those places where we need to help people because we have compassion but also to plant churches, but they'll never come because they have no faith. They gotta raise a certain money, they didn't have the opportunity to raise that money, so they don't do it. They don't go. I came to that crossroad when 
I was moving out here to Africa where it, it came to a decision, either we're going to go by faith because there, we just don't have the money or we're never going to go because we just don't have the money. And I'm glad I was young enough and without a lot of responsibilities. Maybe it was faith, maybe it was foolishness, but here we are and God has saved many. And you know what, sometimes, yeah, God bless you. You know, sometimes we need just that childlike faith. You know, when I think about making a move like that now at the age of 36, I've been here since I was 23. I got three children. I start thinking about uh, school fees, even homeschool, there's a lot of fees involved. I start thinking about their future. I start thinking about how back then I was ready to move the longest in a mud hut. Right now, I don't know if I have the faith to do something like that. I start thinking about being comfortable. I just got some new couches. It's the first time I've ever bought couches since I've been married. And I've been in ministry the whole time I've been married. I bought them for the first time. Everything else in my house has been given to us. I think God honored faith or felt sorry about my foolishness. But I can tell you right now, faith doesn't always increase with age Sometimes it decreases because of the comforts of the world, the pleasures, the stresses, the worries, the anxieties, which will stifle the very fruit that God is calling us to. We need faith. We need to step out and say, God, it's convicted me by his Holy Spirit to speak to this person. God is convicting me by the Holy Spirit to give this money. Or in some of our cases, God is convicting me by the Holy Spirit to keep this money. And, and let me explain what I mean by that. Ah, I don't know if this is proper. I'm trying not to. There are some of us, I, okay, I'll use myself, that don't think of this as a good thing. It, it may sound good to your ears, but really it's a bad thing. I gave too much money away I need to also bless my family. You get what I mean? It's like, Lord, sometimes the Lord's telling you to give. Sometimes the Lord's telling you to keep. Sometimes the Lord's telling you to go. Sometimes the Lord's telling you to stay. So Peter, no matter if he's right or wrong, we need to have faith. Faith isn't having all the provisions given to you before you go do something. That means there's no faith. But we need to have faith. Now, the other view is there is nothing wrong with what Peter and these guys did. It was very practical. They needed to provide, so they went fishing. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus told them to go wait for him there. This is kind of the view I hold. In their waiting, they went fishing. They went back to, and let's go catch some fish and provide for our families and, you know, have a good meal. And they went out and they went fishing. 
which is also has some practical spiritual applications. Sometimes we need to just get to work and don't wait for that job that your degree paid for you to get because many aren't going to get it. And you need to just go out and work and be ready to do a work that is lower than what you think you deserve. Going fishing, they said. Jesus stood on the shore And the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. In verse 5, then Jesus said to him, children, have you any food? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it because of the multitude of fish. Some people want to speculate. They want to say, what does the right side of the boat symbolize? As opposed to the left side of the boat. I don't believe we need to get bogged down with what it symbolizes. But simply just saying that the left side of the boat can represent um, the worldly kind of... uh, a way of doing things that will provide no fruit, no provisions, and the right side of the boat is a divine uh, provision and divine guidance. Divine guidance. That when we hear the voice of Jesus Christ in our lives, in our ministries, in our families, then we will be provided for obedience to what he's calling us, to his will, to his direction, to his divine guidance will provide much fruit. There's no significance to the left and right side. Technically, with the boat they would have had, it only would have been a few feet. But it represents hearing the voice of God and doing it which produces much and not hearing the voice of God on the left side and it producing nothing. And I want to specify on that. When you go out in your life, not walking in the will of God given to us by the word of God, it's not going to produce just little. It will produce nothing. It's not like, okay, when you walk in your own kind of will, even in Christian life, You may get a little bit of fruit, but you won't get a lot of bit of fruit because you're not doing what he said, no. When you're walking in your will, you will get no fruit as opposed to the divine guidance represented by the right side and getting much, much, much fruit. A simple application so that that's not ambiguous to you, unclear, is some of you with great memories may remember our teaching in John 15 months and months ago. Remember in John 15, the abiding in Christ, us being the branches, Jesus being the vine, and when we're in the vine, we'll produce fruit, John 15, it says initially, and then continually abiding more fruit, and continually abiding much fruit. There was those three different kinds of um, fruitfulness. 
kind of uh, um, blessings and fruit that we'll have as a Christian. You have just fruit, then you have more fruit, and you have much fruit. And we talked about in that teaching, you remember what we talked about? We talked about so many when they read that, it's like, okay, the fruit is your average Christian member who just attends church. And then the more fruit is maybe those who are like serving in church, maybe the deacons and the ushers. And the much fruit is for those bishops and pastors and evangelists. So many have that idea. And it's so wrong. It is such a wicked idea, actually. That's not what it's saying. It's saying those to the degree that we abide in Christ, whether you're a church member, a deacon, an evangelist, a pastor, somebody who has a crusade of a million people, doesn't matter. Those who walk in the will of God, to the degree that they do so will provide fruit or more fruit or much fruit. And we talked about the seven different fruits that we can do. You you remember one of them is prayer itself, which is amazing because all of us can pray. Maybe not all of us preach to multitudes, but all of us can pray. And it talks about in Matthew 6, having rewards, having fruit for those who pray in secret to the Lord. We talked about having a praise on your lips, Hebrew says, which brings fruit. It uses the word fruit in Hebrews. Having a sacrifice of praise. So when you're speaking the very words that you've received from God through the Bible back to God, you are accumulating fruit. So when you're, it's, it, my whole point in saying that, it's not complicated in producing fruit. It's not about going and planting a church and watching a thousand people get saved. It's about you in your everyday life obeying Jesus Christ in the very simple things. And you will produce fruit and more fruit and much fruit. So the right side Divine guidance, walking in his will, produces a big catch, a big produce. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. They can recognize the Lord, not because of the physical eyes of seeing him. They're still on the boat, and they wouldn't even recognize him when they're sitting right next to him in this story. But they know that He did this before in Luke chapter 5. By the way, we need to be able to discern the voice of God. And when we are distracted with life and the busyness that it affords us, we can quiet the voice of God in our lives. There was one time, me and my friend at the time, I haven't seen him in many years, his his name is Ashley, yes, he has a girl name. Good guy, good friend. We were just, I was at Teen Challenge and our whole lives was about the word and prayer and fellowship. 
And when I would meet up with Ashley, and we worked together on a lawn care crew, we were cutting grass. When I would meet up with Ashley, we would talk about the things of God all the time. Just the Bible and he had gone and got a master's of divinity formerly at a very prestigious Christian school and you know, he was knowledgeable, I was learning and we would just talk about the word of God and we would do it all the time and one day we were just driving for, from lawn to lawn just hours of talking about the word of God and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just fell upon us and it was so tangible, it was in the truck with, he was in the truck with us to the point where we looked at each other, we said, do you feel that? Do you sense the Holy Spirit? We're like both, it was amazing. The more you meditate upon him and his word, the more you abide in him, the more you know when it's the Lord and when it's not the Lord. Have you been in those situations? I hope you have, Christian. We're like, this is the Lord working in us right now. That, that God said that, not you. You ever, you ever heard somebody say that? We say this in the church, it's a good thing to do. That was the Lord. That was the Lord. You're like, yeah, it was. Thank you, Lord, for using me, man. It gets a dangerous place when you're like, woo, yeah, that was the Lord through me. Don't do, don't do that. Yeah, the Lord speaks through me all the time. I, I know people like that. That was the Lord. Or conversely, those who are walking with the Lord closely, deeply, richly, abiding in him, producing fruit, you know when it's not the Lord, don't you? It's like, you know what? This conversation's not, not the Holy Spirit. We've, we've talked too much about these people. We've, we've glorified the world too much in our conversation. This isn't the Lord. Let's stop this now and let's get back to Lord talk. Holy Spirit conversations. Which, by the way, if you know me personally, you know that I like to laugh. I believe the Lord was a laugher. I believe the Lord was one of those guys that enjoyed a good gut laugh with his disciples. Laughter is good medicine. So they recognize it's the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put out his outer garment, for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. Some people say, okay, this is the apostle Peter, now ready to go to work. Jesus told him to wait. He's not backslidden. He grabs his outer garment. He's not returning back to his boat, and he is going. That's possible. It preaches. We need to be ready to go when God calls our names, to run to him. It doesn't matter if we have to jump in a lake to do it. A dirty lake like this world that we live in, we go when Jesus calls. So that preaches. It's probably that he would have just been indecent in front of his master in the outer garment or the undergarment. So he needed his outer garment. So he grabs his coat and he jumps in the water. 
But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have caught. Isn't this amazing? You know, even if they were backsliding and not doing exactly what they were supposed to doing, Jesus, he does two things. Number one, he doesn't mention they're backsliding. Number two, he cooks for them actually three things. And the third, he visits them at work. Do you know God doesn't just visit us on the Lord's day when we're assembling together as the body of Christ? He will visit you at work every single day that you open the doors for his visitation. That you jump in the water and swim to him for his visitation or row the boat to dry land for this visitation. Jesus is not limited to a Sunday morning meeting, but he goes and visits us at work. We need to invite him in. But something else happens here. He had fish and bread, and he's cooking it for them. He's got a barbecue, a choma going on. And then he says to them, but also bring the fish that you have caught. Jesus Christ invites us to work with him, to serve under him, and to catch fish with him from the world. Do you remember when he was feeding the 5,000, what he initially said to the disciples? They said, hey, Jesus, there's all these thousands of people, 5,000 men who need food, which means there was probably anywhere from 10 to 15,000 people. They need food. If they don't get food now, by the time they leave, they're, they're going to faint along the way. So since we don't have food, send them away so that they can make it home before they pass out. Jesus said to them, do you remember before he provided the food supernaturally? Do you remember what he said to them? He said, you feed them. You feed them. They said, we don't have food. We only got a few fish, a few loaves of bread. Jesus knew that they didn't have enough food to feed 10,000 people. He's not dumb. He's God. What was he doing? He was trying to get those disciples to step out in faith, say, you know what? We don't have the food, Jesus, but we know who you are, so we're going to start walking with the baskets to these people to feed them, and something's going to happen. But they didn't have the faith to do that at that time. So they complained about not having enough. And Jesus said, okay, tell them to sit down by 50s and I will feed them. We don't know what God's going to do with walking in his will and doing the ministry he's called us to, ladies and gentlemen. But we need to have the faith 
to step out, even if we don't see how it's possible, how our sister can get saved, our brother, our mothers, our fathers, that workmate, that colleague, that atheist who says, I hate the idea of those who believe in a God who doesn't exist. We don't know, but we still need to step out in faith and share Christ with people because we will never, ever get to to see the miracles of God in our service if we don't walk out in faith. So Jesus, is, is, he's doing it again. He's doing it again. He's like, okay, I got some food, but this time I have the little food and you have more and I want you to bring what you have. Where before he had all the food and they had none because he wants us to understand that he is going to use us to provide a great harvest. And the only ones who don't have a great harvest in their lives are the ones who are not stepping out in faith. Those people who aren't stepping in faith, it's not those, okay, I need a college education before I can be really used by God. Or I need a seminary education before I can be used by God. Or I need to be as smart as this person before I can really be used by God. And I'm not as smart as that person, so I'll never be used that much by God. Or I need to be articulate. Or I need this. Or I need whatever worldly thought you have. Let me clear this up for you. The only thing that you need to be used by God greatly is the faith to step out and share Christ with people. That's what qualifies you, faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Look at these guys. They're a bunch of, they're a bunch of morons. And I don't say that disrespectfully. I can relate to it. And I'm so glad that he uses men like this. That means he can use me. And that means he can use you wherever you are. What qualifies you? Faith. In who? Christ. Christ qualifies you. But you must take the initiative to walk out. So Jesus said, hey guys, bring your food over. We're going to eat some of what you caught. Through the divine guidance of casting on the right side, they can bring food to bless Jesus. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. Although there were so many, the net was not broken. And Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of his disciples dare ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. So Peter's at it again. <laughs> the, Peter, he was this guy. He was a big, strong man. The weight of this, they weren't small fish. It's 150 large fish. Probably anywhere from 300 to 400 pounds all up in the net, and Peter goes, he's like, guys, I got this. He wants to obey the Lord. Peter's that guy who just is operating in his own strength all the time. He grabs that 300 and 400 pound, and he rips it up all the way to the barbecue. 
And the other guys are like, wow, isn't he something? (laughs) Peter, some speculate, and it's probably true, was a big, tall, strong, powerful man with big hands, fisherman hands. Hands that other men, when they shake, they're like, wow, he's, he's, he's something, you know? And, and, and part of the reason why Peter was always vying for his greatness and him being the great leader that they should follow other than Jesus amongst the 12 was because of all of his physical attributes And he would say things like, Jesus, though these others will betray you, I will not. I'm the man. I will not betray you. I will die for you. Why? Looking at his own strength, looking at his own abilities, looking at his own physical attributes that even the world acknowledges that he has. We need, to be stop, we need to stop being impressed with physical attributes and more impressed with godly, Christ-like behaviors. People walk in, a big, tall, handsome man. It's like, woo, I like that guy. And it's not just girls that they're impressed with, it's guys. Do you ever notice that guys are impressed with big, strong guys? It's a weird Thing that we all are about. Uh, look at that guy. He can really be used by the Lord. He can really get people's attention. If he stood on a stage, people would pay attention. Or even you girls, you look at what you think other girls are more beautiful. Oh, look how beautiful she is. Captivates the room. That's not what brings fruit. What brings fruit is the nature of God manifesting itself from within us out to the world and stepping out in faith. So Peter drags this 400-pound catch. And this is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Jesus Christ fed them. He took the fish and the bread. He feeds them. It's amazing. Jesus cooks and feeds these guys. I wish I had the time. We're out of time and we'll finish this chapter next week. These men whether or not they're backslidden or not, they're in a state of confusion. Most of them a state of shame and condemnation. Still, even after Jesus had visited them three times and spoke peace to them, we are so immersed with the idea that we have to earn a place with God who is very rigid and strict and he must uh, be obeyed perfectly in order for us to be blessed. We think this way so powerfully that we can assume 
very rightly that these men are still in pain, in shame, in hurt, confusion, as they're out with their old careers. We have this, by the way, you don't want to miss next week. We have a glorious ending here to John's gospel. It really touched me deeply looking at it last night. Deeply. But we must understand that when we're walking with Christ, He qualifies us. He qualifies us. We don't qualify ourselves. And that means that Jesus still loves you. He still wants to be with you. He still will visit you. And he will still provide for you. Even if you're back in the world, you've betrayed him, you've denied him, maybe not with your voice, but with your actions. He's still with us. He's cooking a meal for them. He gave to them the food that he had prepared. And you know what? I personally don't think it was a supernatural, boof, there's coals, you know, and boof, there's fish and there's the bread. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Maybe he got the food supernaturally, but I think he went out and rustled him out some wood and he started the fire. And he got the coals going and then he took that food, that fish, and, and he started cooking it. He gutted it himself, cleaned it. Because that's who Jesus Christ is. He's there for us. He says, guys, hey, guys, come eat with me. Eat with me. Not, hey, you, you bunch of backsliders, back out. I told you before to stop fishing for fish and start fishing for men. I'm so tired of your nonsense. <laughs> None of that. You know, shouting from the shore, you bunch of idiots, I'm, I'm so tired of you. Get over here and get some food so I can yell at you a little bit. It's not what he does. He speaks peace to them now for the fourth time. And there will be more visitations yet to come. At the beginning of this chapter, it mentions a few disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Verse 2, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel, Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee. And then it says, and two others were with them. Why doesn't it mention the two others' names? Why does the Bible always do this? It, it throws it. I mean, guys, we're talking about the supernatural inspiration of the Holy Spirit of holy men to write down the very text message from God supernaturally preserved for all of the ages to come. This is no coincidence. This was put here on purpose. Why? Let me tell you why. Those two disciples are me. That's one of them. And the second one, you. 
he's speaking to us, saying, come out from the boats, come out from the worries, come out from the trials, come out from the stress, quiet down the waves of the world and come have a meal with me. Spend time with me. Shut the cell phone off. Turn off YouTube and Facebook. Turn off the television. Turn off the radio. Give the kids some medicine so they fall asleep for a few hours. And go out and sit in a chair out in some shade somewhere alone and say, Jesus, here I am. Let's have a meal together. Because I need you. I'm worn down. I'm tired. I don't know what to do. Will you sit with me? And guess what, church? He will. He'll sit with you. He'll spend time with you. He'll prepare a meal for you. He'll cook something up and he'll feed you with his word. That's what he's calling us to this morning. Lord, thank you so much for your word and for your grace. What Your mercy just continues to abound over and over in your word towards us, in us, and God willing through us by faith. I pray over today's offering, may you bless it as we've purposed in our hearts and love to give to you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's teaching. We hope that you've been inspired and blessed. For more teachings and other resources, visit our website at ccelderet.org or call us at 0718-012-496. That is 0718-012-496. See you next time.